it is becoming increasingly widespread. It happens usually about this time of the year, a very disheartening thing that has to do with the ugly Christmas sweater party. Have you ever had one of these? One of these. How about that one? Never had an ugly Christmas sweater. See, these used to be the sweaters that we were too embarrassed to tell our friends that our great aunt made for us for Christmas, right? And they just reeked of oversized, oversized reindeers and Christmas ornaments. They started with those, and then they just took off from there, right? Anybody own any ugly Christmas sweaters? I think every Christian should have at least one. It's hard to take yourself seriously when you're wearing one of these. It's a great lesson in humility. And I mean, what's not to love, right? Yeah, show up to church with one of those, friends. People will look at you. And what's happened over the last several years in particular is that people now have, it's a great holiday tradition to have an ugly Christmas sweater party. People look for the best ugly Christmas sweater they can for all to see. Look, you can even match with your significant other. What says love more than that, really, folks? They even come with light. How beautiful is that? Now, I don't have anything against the Christmas, ugly Christmas sweater. In fact, I'm looking for a good one. Moreover, one of these years, Christmas at the Parsonage, just you wait. But what's happened that people are having these ugly Christmas sweater parties and they're going out and buying ugly Christmas sweaters. And they're paying good money. In fact, if you go home today, get online and look up ugly Christmas sweaters. Probably the one that you have your eye on. That one you think, you know what, I could pull this one off. And there are many. Probably it's going to cost you about 70, 80, maybe even 100 bucks. I've read where someone has paid six hundred dollars for an ugly Christmas sweater. And what it seems like, if you spend that much money on something that looks like that, you kind of miss the point of the ugly Christmas sweater. Are you all with me? That you've kind of taken something that was supposed to be fun and made it into something Many people complain, roll their eyes about seeing Christmas items in retail stores in about September. Because every sensible person knows that you can't get into the joy, you can't get into the spirit, into the peace of Christmas until Black Friday. <laughs> and how do you know Christmas had been made into something it wasn't supposed to be? When there's a website called Black Friday Deaths. See, somebody's keeping track for us of how many people have been killed or injured on Black Friday. Because people get killed and injured on Black Friday, y'all. Which actually starts on Thursday now by 8 p.m. guaranteed and extends to Cyber Monday. 
We haven't figured out how many deaths have happened on Cyber Monday yet. Golly. Man. Sisters and brothers, it seems that Christmas has turned into something else. Something has happened to Christmas. And when something malfunctions, often it's good to go back to the beginning, go back to the basics so we can strip it down and realize where we're supposed to be, get a fresh look at what we're supposed to have in front of us. And for many of us, as we look forward to the Christmas season, we look forward and we anticipate some of those familiar words, particularly from Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. Words that we know are an important part of the Christmas celebration. As you hear those words today and through other services, I want you to realize, though, that behind those words, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of darkness, and there's a lot of gloom. We read about in Isaiah 7. We hear about a king who is being threatened by others. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but if your king is being threatened, guess what? You are being threatened as well. Your livelihood is at stake. Everything you know about the way of life is up in the air if your king is in trouble. And King Ahaz was in trouble, but God was trying to tell the king, it's going to be okay. You're going to have to trust me. Matter of fact, I'll give you a sign so you can trust me. You pick a sign. You pick it. It'd be a sign from heaven. It'd be a sign from below. Whatever. You come up with this. King gives some kind of fake Christian Sunday morning answer that, oh, I'm not worthy, and blah, blah, blah. God says, look, are you going to waste the prophet's time and my time? I'll give you the sign. Young man, a bear child. She will name him. Now, in a culture where names are life and names mean something, can you begin to fathom the trust and the confidence that those people had in God? Because that name means God with us. We are being chased. Our lives are in danger. But if God is with us, but if God is with us. Isaiah 9 Very familiar words as well. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And sometimes I think in the the midst of all the silent night stuff, we, we gloss over that. The people who walked in darkness. It's a very illustrative way of talking about suffering and pain and turmoil. The people who walked in darkness saw In those images, God continues, and you see that the oppressor has been removed from us. Those images of war that were before our face every single day are gone. Our circumstances that were weighing us down, our lives that were being put at risk, are no longer at risk because we have the mighty God, the wonderful Counselor, the Father Almighty, the Prince of Peace in our lives. I need you to understand what that message means for a people who are struggling, who are being persecuted, whose circumstances are beyond dire. To hear that God is with us is life. 
Y'all with me? The church took those words from Isaiah and made it their own. They believed that at one point God was willing to show up. And God is still willing to do the same. So the church took those words from Isaiah, made it our own, made it a part of our belief. And it's a reasonable thought that if we understand God is love, love makes God want to be with his children. And sure enough, that's what happened. The miracle of Christmas, friends. It's the miracle that as we open our gifts and put up our trees and our lights, we need to remember that God is with us. God's people have always expected God to do something. And as we think about Christ in the world, we celebrate Christ, we see Emmanuel. We see that Christ is with us. We see that we, just like the people before, have the wonderful counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace, in our presence. Are y'all, are y'all with me? Because that's an amen -er. But something's happened. Something's happened to the idea we have about God. I was a part of a church who gave out scholarships to graduating seniors, and they'd fill out an application. They'd come for a little interview. One time we were interviewing a young man, and uh, during this interview, people just throw out all kinds of questions. And as we were sitting around the table, somebody says, Tell me what you think all about God. And I remember first thinking to myself, we're not giving this kid that much money to put him on the spotlight. That's a pretty deep and tough question. But to his credit, he looked back and said, God, God, to me, God, God is Santa Claus with rules. Now, I confess, I chuckled a little bit as, as he said that. But then as I got to thinking about it, my heart was broken. Is that who God is? Santa Claus? The moon? Is that what we made God out to be? Call this idea moralistic therapeutic deism. This idea that God is some big guy upstairs who just wants us to be happy and comfortable, wants us to stay off the naughty list. And that is a, an impression that many of our young people have about who God is. And before you go riding on the young people, this is what we're figuring out as well, is that these young people didn't come up with this stuff themselves. This is what they've been taught, who God is. So let me get this right then. The people who have walked in darkness now have a big jolly guy who likes to give them stuff and make them happy. Does that sound right? 
People who have walked in darkness have seen a light. Now, uh, another common holiday tradition is keeping Christ in Christmas. You ever heard that? We've got to keep Christ in Christmas. And it's almost a game for some of us to to be on the lookout for who's going to bring it up first and which store is going to be called out for not saying it. And don't misunderstand me. I'm all about keeping Christ in Christmas. I just think it looks different than what most of us think. For some reason, we boiled keeping Christ in Christmas down to standing up for saying Merry Christmas. That we need to convert people from their happy holiday lifestyle. Keeping Christ in Christmas is getting the lights and the trees up in time and making every Christmas party. Is that keeping Christ in Christmas? No. I don't think so. I think keeping Christ in Christmas is remembering words of Christ. Words that Jesus made part of his own that came from Isaiah as well. Do you remember these words? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, if you and I want to find out if we're keeping Christ in Christmas, compare what we're doing with those words. United Nations estimates, estimates that it takes to feed every person in the world, get this, $30 billion a That to provide clean water for people in Africa, it takes $41 billion. That it would take $203 billion to make sure that people around the world had clean water. Now, I don't know, I don't make that much, right? But anytime you say the word billion, kind of seems like a lot, right? 30 billion, 41 billion, 203 billion, how in the world can we do anything about that? Except then we start thinking that it's estimated that in the United States alone on Black Friday, people spend 60 billion. For the entire Christmas season, we're going to spend $640 billion. I've never been that great at math, friends, but are y'all with me? I know some of you are going to hear me and think, well, you see, John just doesn't want me to buy gifts, doesn't want me to have parts. Did I say that? All I'm saying is that maybe there's a better way to keep Christ in Christmas. Maybe you and I can think about our holiday traditions at home and at church a little bit more and figure out how we can focus more on Christ's presence than on presence. How can we focus more on Emmanuel instead of stuff? What we also realize about God 
working miracles and hope. God uses people like us. Christmas is about the promise and the hope of God. And in that hope and in that promise, we see that God is more than willing and more than capable of using people like you and I. Just think of Mary and Joseph. You and I were given Emmanuel through those two very ordinary people. And you say, well, God chose them. That's fine. But they had, to, they had to say, yes, God. They had to say, may it be as you have said. That's all we need to say as well. If you and I, as the people of God, could focus more on Christ's presence instead of the presence, we could be the miracle of God for the world today. That, sisters and brothers, is how we keep Christ in Christmas. So let us pray. Let us pray because we often, you know, ourselves, and we know, and often we have, the, we have the idea that maybe God is a Santa Claus with rules. But we also realize that maybe we made Christmas something that it was never meant to be about. So God, hear us as we pray. As we pray for the light to shine on our darkness again as we pray for your presence to be enough for us to celebrate, to rejoice about, as we pray that you would use ordinary people like us to be your miracle this world needs. God, it is in your name that we pray, because it's in your name that we trust. Amen.